Hello and welcome to the Whispering Woods podcast. I'm Sarah. And I'm Toby. And this is episode number 11. Today's episode is all about... Knockers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh dear. (laughs) I just wanted you to say it really. Okay. I've done an introduction piece and then we've got two stories to follow. I just want to catch up about my paranormal my paranormal experiences Um, because I had another one. Now this was a few weeks ago but because Toby wasn't around and then I completely forgot to share the information last week. I'm going to do it now. Nothing has actually happened since. I don't know, I can't remember if I've told you about this Toby but I'm going to go for it, okay? (laughs) So... After we had the experience with the ring doorbell and the woman pointing, it was a few nights later, I was up in bed and I was sort of, you know, led in bed, listening to a podcast. And I must admit, I was kind of in and out of sleep. But then I heard George come in. I thought, that's okay. George is home. I can probably go to sleep, yeah? So I heard him come in through the front door, walk through the kitchen, um, making himself something to eat and then guess what happened what my phone rang oh. guess who was on it who your brother he was stuck because the last bus hadn't turned up so I had to get pay for an Uber so he's not come in at all but I'd heard him come in go into the kitchen go through the drawers etc what do you think about that oh yeah that would be quite creepy it was him. yeah oh, it was Especially because, like, a couple of times a week, I'm normally, like, here on my own. And, like, I'm really brave when other people are around. But as soon as I'm on my own and I've got my scary podcast on or I watch a horror film, it's completely different. <laughs> Do you have that? Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's ju- it's just something about, it, even if they're up in the other rooms, something about somebody else being there. When you're on your own... Even the mildest horror becomes extreme. And I still do that thing. I used to, When I was a kid, I used to have this thing where if I needed to have a wee in the middle of the night, I'd go out, turn the light on, and it'd be one of the pool, you know, pool lights. Yeah. And I had this thing that I would run back to my bed, obviously turn the light off. But if the... The way I did it was, if I didn't hear the the pull thing bang the wall, there was a ghost in the room. Do you know why? Because it meant they'd grabbed it. Because I'd fling it in such a way that yeah. there's no way it couldn't like bang against the wall. And a few times, I didn't hear it bang against the wall. Oh no! So I ju- and jumped straight into my bed under the duvet, and I still do that. Once you're under your blanket, you're fun. Exactly. It's like wings of steel. Yeah. <laughs> That's from an old cartoon. Um, right. Anyway, so those are my stories. Have you had any paranormal experiences this week? Well, when my mate was staying over here the other day, when he said, don't you ever think there's someone looking through that vent in your room? <laughs> and, well, that's just changed my mindset. <laughs> 
change your perspective on your bedroom, has yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's keep an eye out there. Well, they'd have to be pretty tall because you're on the second floor. Mm. Mm. And, and actually, which also reminds me, I think it is birds though, but I keep hearing something rustling around um, by my bedroom window as well. And then obviously my imagination goes mental and I just see like a child knocking on the window. <laughs> like out of Salem's Lot. You haven't seen that, have you? Stephen King. Brilliant book. Salem's Lot? Yeah, I think they're remaking it actually this year. I've got a feeling. So that's one we can watch together. you be Halloween with me based in Salem. Yeah, well, that's because they have the Salem Witch Trials. You know, which are infamous. So, yeah, lots, lots of things are in Salem. Are you ready for the intro? Yes, I am. Okay, let's do this. Imagine you rarely saw the sun, and most of your short existence was spent deep underground. Ten hours a day, six days of the week. That was the life of a tin miner in 18th and 19th century England, with many not living past the age of 30. The mines could reach out for some 2.5 kilometres under the sea, 640 metres deep, and miners would hear the thundering roar of boulders tumbling across the seabed above their heads. Devon and Cornwall's landscape is shaped deeply by its mining heritage, and the fortitude of its mining communities. The work was hazardous and arduous, with arsenic being a byproduct of the mining practice, and children as young as nine would haul out the barrows full of tin ore. Given scant respite and seeing very little of the sun, is it any wonder that reports of paranormal creatures who live deep in the twisted tunnels have been spoken of by miners not only in the west of England, but across the rest of the world. In Devon and Cornwall, these subterranean spirits are known as the Knockers. And no doubt, when mining communities traversed the Atlantic Ocean to America, they took their tails with them and the Tommy Knockers were spawned. In Wales, they are known as Koblinau. In Germany... Kobold. In the Ukraine, they are known as Shubin, and there are variations of these small goblin-like beasts in many of the mining countries. In the UK, miners would take precautionary measures and leave offerings for the knockers to keep in their good favour, often a portion of their Cornish pasty. As if they became irritated, they would steal and hide your tools or lead you deep into the cave system, never to be seen or heard of again. The knockers could be heard prior to a disaster, banging on cavernous walls inside the mining shafts. Perhaps in warning that a mine was about to cave in, but according to some legends, however, the knockers are Malvern spirits, and if their banging is heard, it is not to warn the miners but the sound of them sabotaging the mine supports to bring the ceiling down. The knockers would sometimes favour a miner, and it was thought the knocking was to draw their attention to a spot that was rich with ore. Whichever variation you believe, 
there are a few things the knockers are said not to like, benign or medicinal. Tinners never whistle down mine, as this really annoys the little people. Although singing was tolerated, you should also never wear a cross as the knockers hate them. Nor should you leave your tools crossed over one another and never speak ill of the knockers as an accident would shortly follow. Situated between Devon's East Birch Tor Mine and Vita Tin Mine is a deep gash cutting through the landscape. This is known as Chaw Gully and it is said to be haunted by the Dartmoor knockers. These fey folk are of the vicious kind and many a hardened tinner would state that Chaw Gully was a horrifying place where countless miners were doomed to meet an early demise whilst attempting to scratch out a living. Men here were lowered into deep pits on ropes and unfortunately for some, the knocking would then start. It could be heard emanating from the blackness and then a sudden glimpse would be seen of small gnarly hands carrying a thin blade that would quickly try to sever the rope and plunge the unsuspecting miner to his death. Although today the majority of these shafts have been filled, it is said that if you stand quietly and listen, you can still hear the knockers attempting to ensnare the next victim. What it could be something to do with the lack of oxygen. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If you've got lack of oxygen to the brain, what could happen? Um, pass out. Yeah, and you can hallucinate. Yeah. So you might hallucinate that you're hearing things or seeing things at the corner of your eye, that type of thing. But what's interesting with this and loads and loads of other folk stories is kind of worldwide in the mining communities that they have these stories about these creatures and goblins that knock. So do you think they're vicious? No, never know. They could be, they could not be. Yeah, it depends, doesn't it? Because some say, you know, if you make offerings, they're okay. You should never whistle. It's just everywhere they're whistling there, you know? Never whistle. Don't think I'm ever going to whistle again. Which reminds me, we said that we were going to walk up the lane and whistle, didn't we? What lane? You know, down the road. Ghostly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Should we do that one night this week? Yeah. And we'll record it. Definitely, yeah? Mm-hmm. You up for it? Yeah. Okay. So, please note, Toby and I will walk up the lane whistling in the dark sometime this week and pop it on social media. <laughs> So, are you ready for the first story? Yes, I am. Now, this is a bit of a different take on the knockers. Um, and it's around, it's based around the Tommy knockers. Take it away. It was just after 8pm on the 21st of August, 1955, on a secluded farm in Kentucky. Billy Ray Taylor and his family were staying with the Suttons after arriving in Kentucky from Pennsylvania. The farmhouse 
sat about eight miles from the small town of Hopkinsville. With the nearest neighbours living miles away and no telephones at the property, the area was particularly isolated. On that evening, the terrifying events would last for several hours and started with Billy Ray leaving the home to go and fetch some water from a nearby well. As he paced towards the well, he looked up at the sky and noticed a strange light. The object appeared to be on fire, burning all the colours of the rainbow. Billy Ray was entranced by the peculiar spectacle and watched as the light eventually disappeared behind the tree line and stopped in a clearing. Rushing back to the house, he interrupted the conversation to tell his wife and the other inhabitants that he had seen a flying saucer, but they merely dismissed him and got back to their conversation, as Billy Ray was humoured at the best of times. But then the Sutton's dog began to bark, indicating that something was approaching the home. Unleashing the dog, it dashed off whining and whimpering, and then hid under the house, where it would remain until the next morning. This prompted the group to approach the windows and peer out into the dark night, with Billy Ray and Lucky, the Sutton's eldest son, going outside to get a better look. Lucky then began to call to the others as he spotted a strange glowing light approaching. As it neared, they could make out it was a small, goblin-like creature, and sensing that it was being watched, it suddenly threw its arms up into the air and ran towards them. Billy Ray and Lucky raised their weapons and began to open fire on the creature, but the bullets... Having hit their target, didn't kill the goblin, but hit it over and then it ran off into the shadows. This gave time for Billy Ray and Lucky to run back into the house, and with everyone staring intently out of the windows, they spotted another goblin staring in at them from a side window. They again opened fire, but their bullets appeared to only stun the goblins, and this one also took off into the shadows. With Lucky covering Billy Ray, he went back to the front door to investigate, and as he stepped over the threshold, a small claw reached down and grabbed his hair. Lucky shot the goblin that had taken up residence on the roof, but the bullet made a pinging sound, as if hitting metal, and the goblin floated down to the ground before running off into the trees. Looking around they noticed there were several glowing objects in the woods and they were surrounding them. The two families eventually decided to take their chances and ran to their vehicles and headed to Hopskinville Police Station. They advised the police on the events of the evening and they were taken aback but also extremely aware that whatever had happened, the families were in a genuine state of shock and taking the issue seriously, they drove back with them to investigate themselves, also calling for military assistance. Whilst there, the authorities noted the damage that had been caused to the property and surrounding area, but there was no sign of the critters. Although one officer 
did make note of what he thought to be a strange glow in the woods. The military came in and swept the area, but nothing was seen, and eventually the authorities left the property. The families returned to the house at approximately 2am, but unfortunately for them, so did the goblins. The interaction between them would continue until around 5am, and as the sun began its ascent, the creatures retreated and did not return. After much attention from the local press, the farm became a hotspot for paranormal researchers, and due to the scrutiny and unwanted attentions, the Suttons would eventually sell up and leave. Little green men are coming for you. They're coming for you. (laughs) I actually watched a documentary as well about the Kentucky Goblins, Mm -hmm. which was quite interesting because they apparently this guy, the documentary filmmaker, started receiving these letters from a doctor, I think it was, and he had seen the goblins in his garden and he lived in one of the sort of old mining communities with mine shafts everywhere. So they headed up there and it was like the locals refused to talk to them about it. He couldn't find the doctor. Um, yeah, it was quite it was quite interesting. And I would highly recommend it for anybody into goblins. <laughs> Tell you what, one time I did think I saw an alien. Where? Um, well, basically, when I was younger, I was sleeping on the floor in uh, your room. Mm-hmm. And the moment I laid down, my head's looking up. I opened my eyes a bit and I thought I saw like an alien head. Oh, right. Like the shape of it, like just, just close to my face, just right in front of my face. Mm-hmm. I opened my eyes, closed them straight away. So I just think, tried to think it wasn't there. If I can't see it, it can't see me, mate. Mm. I'm gone. Right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I hide under the quilt. Yeah. It's funny, because I mentioned this on my paranormal chat with Chris the other week. When I would go down to my best friend's house after school, um, because we were going to like youth club or hang about around the streets like we did, um, she'd ring because I was late and Nanny would say she's already left she left about an hour ago and I'd disappear but to me I'd just walk straight down to her house but I used to have missing hours but I used to have some real nightmares about being abducted and once I was strangely enough asleep on Auntie Rachel's bedroom floor and I was screaming don't let them take me something like that and Nanny came in and us smacked the door on my head and apparently I just went don't let them take me and then went back to sleep <laughs> right are you ready for the second story of course I am in 2004 Tammy and her three children moved to a new property in the town of Porterville California The farmhouse was in an isolated area and was situated just off the Toole River. Things got strange for Tammy almost immediately. She would often feel watched 
and it didn't take long for her to realise this phenomena would occur most often when she was near the barn. She then noticed the barn had taken on a sinister quality and there would be a cold chill and many of the animals, including chickens, dogs, turkeys and a cat, wouldn't go anywhere near it. Tammy also noticed that the neighbour's animals or any wildlife would also give the barn a wide berth and they would often act strange in the area as if staring at an unseen presence. The dogs would sometimes get hyper near the barn and barked and yipped excitedly, even though nothing could be seen. There would also be frequent noises from the barn, which sounded like growls, squeals and grunting, and then several animals began to go missing without a trace. One evening, Tammy and her son were returning from shopping in town, and as she was unloading the car, she caught sight of something moving quickly in her peripheral vision. When she turned to look, there was nothing there, but almost immediately she saw movement again, along with an evil chuckle. (laughs) She would later go on to say, This time I heard a very freaky, very evil-sounding chuckle. I looked in the direction of the sound, and there standing, about 50 yards from my sunlight, was what I can only describe as a gnome. The creature stood at about three foot tall, with a beard and baggy black trousers, a gold shirt and a red pointy cap. He just stood and stared at them for a moment with deep-set, dead black eyes. That thing grinned at us, and the creepy grin spread from ear to ear, and its teeth were a gross brown and pointed or jagged. It had a bulbous nose and large, deep-set eyes, though I really couldn't tell the colour of them. I never got a closer look at it, and don't know if it was wearing shoes or not, because at that moment I dropped my groceries, grabbed my son and ran from the house, Tammy reported. She hurriedly told her daughters what had happened, and they could still hear the strange laughing coming from outside. Then, seeing movement out of the window, the petrified family went to see what it was. They saw the top of the creature's red cap come into view, which was particularly terrifying as the window was over eight feet above ground level. Tammy quickly closed the blinds and the family would stay that way until the gnome finally left them in peace. This would be the only actual sighting of the thing, but they would often hear its insidious chuckling. The family would eventually move from the house in 2010, but the new residents immediately felt the presence too. The couple would be awoken in the small hours of the morning by raspy, gurgling singing. And when they looked out of the window, they could see the gnome-like creature stood by the pond. Knowing it had been seen, it quickly grabbed a koi fish and stuffed it into its mouth, running away laughing. (laughs) The husband shouted at the thing, and it turned round and gave him the finger. The gnome appears to really like the pond, and would often be seen at around 3am grazing on fish. It would bang the walls of the house and test the door locks. The scared family would also eventually move away. And what's most frightening about this case 
is that the second family knew nothing of Tammy and her children's experiences. Right, so, knockers. I say childish. I can't help it. Knockers. Um, Right, so that brings us to the end of this episode. I'm so excited, actually, because we are coming up to Christmas. Yeah. And I've got um, I've got loads of plans. I might actually release um, some extra episodes. Well, one extra episode for Christmas Eve to do that old tradition. Do you know what they used to do on Christmas Eve? What? Before they had telly and, and things like that, they would sit around and they would tell ghost stories. In Victorian times. Cool. It is cool, isn't it? Yeah. But obviously that died out and that tradition has sort of, yeah, it's gone. So I want to bring it back. Yes. With a Victorian ghost story on Christmas Eve. Get yes. the candles out. Get the hot chocolate. You know? Maybe have one present. <laughs> Presents open yeah. and listen to some ghost stories. Of course. Okay, right, we'll catch everybody next week. Goodbye. Take care, everyone. Bye.